Hello, I'm Vernon Mann. Welcome to more tales from my time as a producer and correspondent with UK TV back in the 70s, 80s and 90s. From 1987 to 91, I spent a lot of time waiting for Western hostages to be freed from Lebanon and Iran. The newest high-profile captive is Terry Waite, the Archbishop of Canterbury's special envoy. We were with him in Beirut a few weeks earlier, before Christmas 1987, as he unsuccessfully negotiates for the release of other hostages, including John McCarthy, the British journalist and a colleague of mine. On Christmas Eve, Waite flies back to the UK for what will turn out to be his last Christmas as a free man for 1,763 days. He leaves us stuck in Beirut, the next flight out not till Christmas Day, and then only to Brussels, with no onward flight to the UK till Boxing Day. My family are mortified at my misfortune, and for a while, so am I. But the Commodore Hotel comes up with the goods, and we have a raucous Christmas Eve with turkey kebabs and belly dancers. Hungover on Christmas morning, we fly to Brussels, checking into a dismal airport hotel late in the afternoon. Pretty depressing. But then I remember that not everything shuts everywhere on Christmas Day in Europe. In Brussels, it's all systems go. So we booked the best fish and seafood joint in town. Lobsters and champagne on Christmas night. Superb. Astronomical bill, but I figured, what the hell, what sort of accountant's going to zero that on Christmas night? So back home on Boxing Day, and spoiled, rotten by the family, you poor thing, missing Christmas and all that, I felt a bit of a fraud. A couple of weeks later, Terry goes missing in Beirut, out of contact. Nobody can get hold of him. I'm then in Cyprus, and based on a tip from Lebanon, I am the first to suggest he may be being held against his will. Thus begins four years of speculation and rumour about when, and most importantly to the media, where the poor man and the others might be released, if indeed they are released. Cyprus is the favourite choice close to Lebanon and host to a British airbase. Wait is internationally known, having negotiated hostage releases from Iran, Libya and Beirut just months before his own capture there. So, the world's media zone in on Larnaca Airport, Cyprus, waiting for wait. The rumours grow hot and cold, and we fly in and out accordingly. On one occasion, after a week of hanging about, I fly out my wife and baby son Anthony, at my own expense, I hasten to add. We have a photo of Anthony alongside a hugely tall Cypriot policeman of the same name. He lets Anthony play with his walkie-talkie. Why does that sound not quite right? The enlightened airport authorities permit us to position our crews airside, virtually on the tarmac. Can you imagine that at Heathrow? We kit ourselves out with deck chairs and cold beers. I set up our headquarters with ABC News, the US network, at the Flamingo restaurant on a hill overlooking the airport. We have sophisticated aircraft monitoring kit and listen in to air traffic control in Cyprus and Beirut. As we eat delicious homemade masaka and drink the local wine, we check incoming flights with powerful binoculars. On the tarmac, our camera crews from BBC, ITN, CNN, ABC, CBS, NBC and various European outfits. As we wait, our second week, 
the Australian Prime Minister Bob Hawke and his entourage fly in for a meeting with the Cypriot President. He's visibly delighted to see such a media turnout for his visit and is waving and smiling at us until he realises the cameramen are completely ignoring him, lying back in their deck chairs, peeling oranges and reading books. One is fast asleep. Hawke's travelling media make a point of filming us and I'll bet they have some fun with the footage in their reports later. I make, I think, five trips to Cyprus triggered by false rumours of Terry's release, plus two to Beirut and one to Damascus in Syria. Something like 104 foreigners are taken hostage between 82 and 92 from 21 different countries. They're taken, we reckon, as an insurance against retaliation by the militant Muslim organisation Hezbollah, thought to be responsible for killing 300 US Marines in a bomb blast. Some hostages die in captivity or of illness, a lack of medical attention. A couple are murdered. I report on a number of them. It's the scariest time I've ever spent in Beirut. Empty streets, threatening, oppressive atmosphere, even in the good old Commodore Hotel. Most journalists have left, including my BBC counterparts. The famous bar is dark and empty. I'm working with an agency cameraman. We rush to the scenes of kidnappings and I do breathless pieces to camera, as in... The two Italian journalists were snatched from their car as they arrived here at their office this morning. The cameraman squirts a few general scenes and we leg it back to the Commodore Hotel ASAP, adrenaline pumping. We should have employed a guard, but you can't trust anyone here. One night I hear with surprise there's a casino operating up the street, open from dusk till dawn, despite the kidnappings and general mayhem. I decide to pay a visit along with a UPITN producer. It's madness, really, but we can just as easily be snatched from the hotel as anywhere else. Locking myself in my room is not an option, for me anyway. It would be more scary stuck in a dismal room, fearing a knock on the door. Just a little depressing, too. We don't take a taxi but sneak through the darkness to the alleged venue. It's not far, a couple of hundred yards. There are guards outside lurking in the gloom, but they happily let us in to what we discover is a different magical world of lights and laughter and music. Food and drinks are served aplenty. The roulette wheel is spinning. I win $145. It's a great night, a welcome relief. We get back to the hotel in the early hours and hear of yet another kidnapping. And there's a telex from the foreign desk ordering me to leave the country as soon as I can. No argument. I do so the next day without incident, boarding the plane to Cyprus with some relief. My BBC counterpart, who'd left a week earlier, films me coming down the airplane steps over a commentary line about frightened journalists fleeing the country. Tosser. The UPITN Beirut Bureau Chief John McCarthy spends five years in captivity. He's set free in August 1991. Four months on, I'm at RAF Lynham in Wiltshire when Terry Waite arrives home after being held for more than four years as a hostage, some of it with McCarthy. Terry's release gets nine minutes and 47 seconds as the lead story on the Tea Time News, a record length for the programme. I reflect on how lucky I am not to have been one of the kidnapped. Let's go back ten years now to Frankfurt in 1981. I told you there's no logical order to these stories. Anyway, we're in Germany now, waiting for the release of US hostages from Iran, 
It's a long wait. Germany, because that's where the Americans have a massive airbase. 52 American nationals are seized by revolutionary guards in Tehran in 1979 as the Islamic revolution there took hold. I'm in Tehran at the time. Now, January 1981, the US government signalling it's reached an agreement with the Iranians that the hostages be freed. But when exactly? Frankfurt Airport soon looks like a world fair as the then mighty US TV networks fly in, each discharging armies of technicians, producers, camera crews, correspondents and presenters. European outfits like ours are relegated to whatever space near the airport perimeter we can manage to find. We'll take the main pictures from our then-partners ABC News. It's an American show, really. Once all the satellite dishes, editing suites and camera positions are set up, we all settle down to wait. We hang out in our hotel, five-star and very comfortable, but not a lot of fun. We'll get at least a day's notice of the hostages' release, so we're not particularly change of the hotel's phones. No mobiles, remember. But this is in January and it's cold, not a time for strolling around the streets. So we go to lunch. It's an upmarket establishment, very Germanic. Waiters and diners glance in disapproval at the crew's classic uniform of jeans and Timberland boots. We study the menu and leave the cameraman who's dined around the world at the company's expense, as I was to do later in my career, to order the wine. I do a double take as I hear him order a case of decent Saint-Emilion Bordeaux. A case. There are only four of us. The wine waiter calmly notes a request without the bat of an eyelid and disappears to the cellar. He reappears after we'd ordered the food with one bottle of red. The cameraman is not pleased. Do you not understand even basic English, he complains loudly. I ordered a case. Now where I come from, that means twelve bloody bottles. Do please be so kind as to bring the other eleven as soon as possible. We wince a little at this, but the waiter calmly nods and inquires if Sir would like him to open the first bottle before he went for the eleven others. We're now the centre of attention in the restaurant. Gasps of astonishment as the rest of the wine arrives, some deposited on a neighbouring table. Dear listener, I have to report that during the afternoon we drank the lot. At one point our producer staggers out of the restaurant and into a yellow Porsche and is observed being driven off by a blonde, her poodle on his lap. Much later, the blonde delivers him back to the hotel, unconscious. The doorman manoeuvres him to his room without comment. At breakfast, when quizzed, the producer says he didn't think he'd had sex. He recalls trying to drink a massive glass of white wine, and that's all he can remember. And she only took ten dollars from my wallet, he says. The hostages are freed in Iran and on their way to Frankfurt. Not on the day of the twelve-bottle lunch, thank goodness. At the airport, we decide to stay away from the media-swamped area near arrivals and join an excited crowd of Americans waving yellow ribbons and welcome-home placards by a perimeter fence half a mile away. At least we'll get some good reaction interviews, if nothing else. The plane lands a hundred yards from us and the hostages are ushered towards the entrance hall out of our reach to be welcomed first by Jimmy Carter, the rather sad-looking outgoing president, and then by the new president Ronald Reagan, former actor, who milks the occasion for all it's worth. Two of the hostages break away and walk towards our welcoming crowd. 
They shake hands, hug the well-wishers, and take a couple of questions from us, saying how great it was to be home. We have secured the only interview anyone got that day with any of the hostages. It's a world exclusive. That's all for now. Thanks for your company. I hope you join me next time when I head for the Romanian Christmas Revolution. This is Vernon Mann. Bye for now. Thank you.